Hello there and welcome back. You're listening to the Scouted Football Podcast with me, Joe Donoghue. Um, today we are getting stuck into the Bundesliga and one team in particular, VfB Stuttgart, a team from Baden-Württemberg in Germany's rugby region. Um, they currently sit in mid-table in the Bundesliga after being promoted last season and they've been making plenty of noise as a side with, with scores of young talent, uh, some really diverse physical profiles and a sporting director behind it all who Arsenal fans, Robert Lewandowski and, and Jurgen Klopp in particular may find themselves familiar with. Uh, and for that very reason, I've, I've scoured the Twittersphere to come up with a guest who I feel uh, encompasses German football knowledge and, of course, a little bit of the Arsenal. Um, one football and arse blogs, Lewis Ambrose, is with me today, I'm delighted to say. Um, Lewis, how is the, the Berlin winter treating you? The Berlin winter is nice and cold. It's I, I don't know how much snow is out there at the moment, but there's plenty of it. It's been a few years actually since we had snow over here, so I'm I feel a bit like a child. Like I actually really enjoy it. Um, keep bugging my other half to go for walks, like when we finish work and obviously working from home and stuff. And I don't think she enjoys it quite as much as I do. So she wraps up really really warm, but. Um, the air is nice and fresh. It's nice. I don't know what people are complaining about. <laughs> Some of us are built differently, you know, just geared <laughs> towards the cold. I've, I've spent too much time watching Kieran Tierney training in t-shirt. <laughs> you've, you, you've caught it by osmosis or some, <laughs> some sort of thing. Um, no, yeah, he is a bit mental in that when it comes to that, but uh, maybe that's the, the Celt in him. Um, but yeah, no, it's good to good to get you on. We've um, we've you know followed your work with with Arsblog, and and of course you've got links to to scouted with uh, Phil Costa, who's obviously regularly on our um, on our Patreon pods. Um, but just on sort of as as a by way of introduction, yourself, you know, you, you're working with One Football in Berlin, which you know seems like a really really interesting setup there. Um, you do you know tactics writing for for Arsblog, which is one of the the biggest Arsenal blogs out there, and you know it's it, it looks like you're. You know, there's there's lots of lots of good things coming from you. Uh, well, kind of you to say so. I'm, I don't think I'm the one to. I'm not best placed to say whether or not they're good things, but I've definitely got my hands full. Um, it's obviously following Arsenal. It's been an interesting season. Living here in Germany, I've been following the Bundesliga since well for about over ten years now. Um, quite closely, just sort of you know how those things develop, and you start watching more and more football from somewhere else. And for me, it was the Bundesliga. And now living in Germany, and so I've got all of those games available to me every weekend. And if anything, I would I would like to have the chance to do a bit more Bundesliga content. So I'm very grateful that you've invited us on here today, so that we can talk about Stuttgart. Yeah, I mean, in your your Twitter bio, uh, that's at LG Ambrose. Um, you have uh, you you're a BVB fan, you're a Borussia Dortmund man. So you know, I thought it might be a bit of a, a bit of a sour one having to discuss the team that dispatched of of Dortmund five two earlier this season. But it was you know, it was a really exciting, interesting game, especially from a tactical perspective. Um, you know, even if Dortmund perhaps were a bit shoddy in in defence, as as they have come to be known a little bit. Um, you know, what has been your reading of, of Stuttgart this season on the whole? I think, yeah, the game that game was the game that cost Lucien Favre his job at Dortmund as well. I think Stuttgart this season, uh, if I were to say something about them, I would just say they are the team to watch. With everybody the last couple of years has talked about Atalanta and you've got to watch Atalanta. Right now, for me, when I'm sitting down at the weekend and looking for a game to watch or seeing what Bundesliga is on this weekend, I always look to see who Stuttgart are playing because you're almost always guaranteed both teams to score. It's, it's sort of a very typical German football for me. Like 
it's full throttle, it's high pressing, it's counter-attack after counter-attack and transition after transition. It's brilliant. And, you know, they will sometimes go to Dortmund and score five goals and absolutely deserve to score five goals that day. And then there are other weekends that the pressing doesn't quite click and the counter-attacks don't come off and they let in five to buy a Leverkusen at the weekend. So for me, if you want a, a bit of a mid-table team, if you want somebody to watch, Stuttgart are right up there this season across all of Europe. Yeah, they're not looking sort of in danger of relegation, which obviously is always the the primary you know focus um, uh, or sort of the thing that you're trying to guard against as a promoted team. Um, but you know they're, they're a club with a rich uh, history, a rich footballing background of you know of youth football. You know they've they've won the under nineteen Bundesliga a record ten times. Uh, they've won the under seventeen Bundesliga six times. Um, and they've also got, you know, a, a rich footballing heritage. You know, they were an original Bundesliga member back in 1963. Um, and one thing I didn't know sort of when I was doing my, my, my research for this this pod was that, you know, Stuttgart was was Joachim Löw's big first first big job. Um, and, and the same sort of with Ralph Rangnick, you know, how he, he, he was working with a 19-year-old Alex Hleb, who I'm sure you're very fond of, um, and, and even a young Timo Hildebrand and, you know, the, the likes of Mario Gomez, Kevin Karanyi, Philip Lahm, you know, players who've played a, a starring role at the, at the German international level have, have come through at Stuttgart while they were sort of under 23 players. So, you know, there's, they've got a background there. There's, there's always been sort of a rich history, I, I keep saying, but it's true, you know, and, and whenever I think of Stuttgart, you know, I do think of them as a Bundesliga club. So it's it's very nice to see them back there. And, and obviously playing good, attractive football is, is always going to be a bonus. Uh, yeah, I, personally, when I think back and I think of Stuttgart, I don't even think of a, a Bundesliga club, but a club that's playing in Europe most of the time. And they still get 50, well, when fans are allowed in the stadium, they still get 50,000 fans every week. And I do think of that sort of, that team with Mario Gomez, think of Thomas Hitzelsberger playing for them, who's now at the club again in a in a functional role. I think of Sebastian Rudi breaking through, or Sami Kadira. That's what Stuttgart are. And I think of Jens Lehmann jumping over the, the advertising boards during a Champions League game to go to the toilet next to the pitch. They mm. are a, a Champions League team or a Europa League team. They're one of the biggest teams in Germany. And you'd say sort of in the south of Germany anyway, behind Bayern Munich, the second biggest club even. Yeah. So the, I mean, when I was doing my reading up on this, you know, they're one of sort of the, the, the original big five. You know, nowadays we may think of, you know, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Bayer Leverkusen sort of being the bigger clubs, you know, RB Leipzig. But, you know, go back 10, 15 years and, you know, this was a this was a club who won the Bundesliga in 06, 07. They won the DFB Pokal in, in 1997. You know, they're a club who, who've got honours uh, in their... In, in their ranks and in their trophy cabinet, you know, and just going back over sort of the last five to 10 years, even, you know, they, they, they you know, in the academy setup that they've had, you know, they've had Serge Gnabry there, they had Joshua Kimmich, uh, Timo Werner, Bernd Leno, Tony Rudiger, uh, Tilo Kehrer, you know, they've all played for at least two years in uh, Stuttgart's uh, academy setup. Uh, interestingly, not all of them have gone on um, to, to to feature at senior level for them, and we'll get on to that. Um, but you know, geographically, do you think it's you know, so, with it being such uh, a hub in Central Europe, you know, is it is it geographically just a very big pool to pick from? Yeah, I think you know, down that that area of Germany, sort of getting sort of towards Switzerland, there's not many football clubs. You've got nowadays, you've got Freiburg, a little bit more north, you have Frankfurt, but there's no, and certainly not historically. 
really big clubs. You've got Bayern on the sort of the other side of the south of Germany. So they've got almost like a whole corner of the country there where if there's any talent, Stuttgart apparently are the one's best place to find it, but are certainly the one's best place to attract them and then train them at the academy where they've got a very impressive record. As you've just mentioned, some of those players that have come through the academy. Mario Gomez, if you go a bit further back as well, it's really, really impressive. And it has been a big part of the the sort of the setup there for years. And I think if we talk about that they were a club that were in Europe, and I think you can sort of track that downfall a little bit with when they stopped relying on or using the, the youth players. And that's when they've sort of fallen away in recent seasons. There seems to be a certain element of romance with with what with big clubs who were once bigger and you know are perhaps sort of you know rearing their head and maybe threatening to get back to that status. You know, I think about back to sort of the early two thousands when when Stuttgart were you know playing regularly in European football and playing Manchester United and Glasgow Rangers in in the Champions League and you know seeing that for the first time, seeing the, those Stuttgart teams, it. it it you know in, and including um, you know a few of the players in the German national team squads for the the 2006 World Cup 2002 World Cup that sort of thing. And there's a certain romance about sort of a, a club like that who've been into the zwei Bundesliga and have come back up and 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 are playing really attractive football like it's entertaining as you say you know you're you're looking at the list on whichever app you use or you know on, online you know the the Bundesliga games this week and you're thinking. Well, I could watch Bayern just press and pass a team to death. You know, I could watch, I could watch anything with Borussia Dortmund. Um, but equally, I know that there's always a safe chance. It's going to be a safe bet that, that Stuttgart's going to be quite entertaining, um, especially with you know the, the the tactical element you know factored in. If that kind of floats your boat as well. Um, but just on just going back to sort of the, the last five ten years and, and and the pool of talent and, and the like, you know, we named a few players there. Um, Timo Werner's clearly a big one now, obviously at Chelsea, um, who who came through the Stuttgart setup from from a very very young age. Um, you know, he was born in Stuttgart. Serge Gnabry was born in Stuttgart, but was poached by Arsenal. You know, I look at Joshua Kimmich's story. He was poached by RB Leipzig. Uh, Bernd Leno, he was poached by by Leverkusen, uh, and Tilo Kera with with Schalke. You know, there's these are top top level players here. You know, is it, in your opinion, is there? Is it just that they're not at that elite level in German football yet that they can sort of hold on to these these potentially you know start standout prospects in in their academy? I think in most cases they had themselves to blame, and I don't think it was something that wasn't in their power. And Joshua Joshua Kimmich has spoken in the past about being told that he was too small and he joined Leipzig with Stuttgart having a quarter of a million euro really, um, buyback clause. They decided to use that clause and then sell him on immediately to Bayern Munich when they realised that Bayern Munich were willing to spend quite a bit of money on him. I think about 8 million. At the time, they were struggling financially. Uh, Gnabry was a situation where he was sort of not really playing for the under-17 team when Arsenal came calling, Bernd Leno was a bit more unfortunate where he'd sort of been promoted to the first team and as a reserve goalkeeper as a teenager. And then Leverkusen had a bit of an injury crisis and signed him on loan and he ended up really impressing. So they signed him permanently. But I think especially Kimmich and Gnabry, who, as you said, like these are two world-class top stars now, 
Stuttgart had that in their own hands to to keep those two, or at least to keep Joshua Kimmich for a while, and decided not to. And I think it comes a little bit with the with the territory of a club, and we've seen it in Germany as well with Hamburg, a club that is at a certain height, and they are they do sort of identify as a, a European team and a team that now and then might even compete for the title or be in the Champions League. And I think they get carried away with chasing that success when it's not there anymore and they sort of drop to mid-table or to just above the relegation battle and instead of thinking right it's time to build a project and go again they almost an arrogance that they belong at the top and you mentioned Stuttgart before belong to sort of that traditional top five German clubs I think that that might be what was at play there there was a lot of money spent to sort of chase being back in Europe or competing for honours. And it was money that was spent badly and money that could have been kept and put into the, the or the time anyway, could have been put into developing those youth players further and seeing how far they could take the team and maybe giving them a little bit of time to develop and grow into their roles. Stuttgart then, obviously, you know, that money and spending it badly leads to financial losses. And in the end, that was part of the reason they sold Kimmich to Bayern. And, then they've ended up in the in the Zweite Bundesliga twice in the last five years. I think it was a good sort of 30, 40 years before then since they'd played in the in the second tier in Germany. And then they've ended up there twice in four or five years because there's just been no big overall vision. It's been years of chopping and changing and hoping that something works instead of making a big plan, which now it seems like they finally have again. Yeah, from what you're saying there, and from from things that I've read, interviews that I've that I'd seen, you know, it it did appear that as though you know perhaps there were ideas above their station, you know, failing to come to terms with the reality of the status that they had, you know, become rather than the historic status that they once had. Um, and as you say, you know, the chopping and changing. We'll get onto that because there has been you know something of a managerial carousel um, pretty much over the past twenty years uh, at Stuttgart. You know, you're lucky if you've got a manager who's spending two years at the club. Um, you know, never mind not having a year where you have one or two in in, in the same season. So, um, it's it, it's all, always going to be very difficult for continuity uh, in in those sort of situations. But um, you mentioned there being in this Vita Bundesliga. That was, of course, last season in two thousand and nineteen twenty. Um, they were promoted, uh, and um, I mean, from looking from afar, it it didn't always look as though sort of. It, promotion was nailed on and then there was sort of the last few games of the season I think they scored five in their last in two of their last three games and then it was all but confirmed um, but you know was was there any danger that that Stuttgart wouldn't return back to, to back to the top flight yeah for you know as you say a long while it was far far from nailed on that they would be back in the Bundesliga this season so Bielefeld were the team really running away with the Zweite Bundesliga last season I think they finished sort of 10, 15 points clear in the end. Stuttgart, I think, even faced Heidenheim with a couple of games left, who they ended up finishing three points clear of. And they obviously, in the end, did manage to to get promoted. It was a bit of a weird season, I think. I think Stuttgart were well aware that financially that they did not want to stay in the, the Zweite Bundesliga for an, a second season. So they made the managerial change in the winter when Matarazzo came in, even though promotion was still on the cards. And obviously it paid off and it's working brilliantly for them now as well. He came in, he had an instant impact. He tightened up the defence 
and now they're playing brilliant football and competing with the best teams in the Bundesliga every week. I suppose that's a good point to to discuss Pellegrino Matarazzo, um, who has probably the best name in the Bundesliga uh, for <laughs> for managers. Um, but he is he he's from the US, but he's been in Germany for the past twenty twenty one years. Um, you know, an ex Hoffenheim assistant, uh, but very much has an extensive background in youth coaching. Uh, you know, he's worked at Nuremberg and uh, and Hoffenheim in sort of under seventeen and under nineteen capacities. You know, coming into this this senior job with Stuttgart, you know. It's, it, I mean, we've just just discussed the history of the club, but this is quite a big job, you know, to be taking on. Um, you know, given that it's it, it, the likelihood was when he took it on, he probably wasn't going to be in it for longer than eighteen months. And you know, now he's coming up to that eighteen months period, and the team are really playing some good football. They're pretty much solid, stable in the Bundesliga. Um, certainly, from a financial perspective, they will have assets which you know probably will leave, but that will leave them in a healthier financial situation you know there seems to be as you've mentioned just then a little bit of continuity there but with Matarazzo you know what is his tactically if you're watching a Stuttgart team how would you how would you describe their their style of play under Matarazzo and is that a a direct result of his style his philosophy or is this something coming from higher up I I think it's both I think this is I think this Stuttgart team firstly plays Pellegrino Matarazzo's football and the way he wants them to play I also think that that's why they hired him and that they want the club to sort of identify as a team that plays this sort of football now. I think it's absolutely incredible when you look back and think the Athletic recently did an article about Ralph Rangnick and all of his impact across, well, across football, but across in particular football in German-speaking countries and all of the work he's done with obviously the Red Bull teams, but also before with Hoffenheim or with Stuttgart, like you mentioned yourself, it's where Thomas Tuchel cut his teeth under Rangnick as a youth team coach. We've got, again, with Matarazzo, a guy that was working with Julian Nagelsmann at Hoffenheim, who was schooled in this same sort of Rangnick idea of playing football. And it's high pressure, it's aggression, it's really making the most of the other team's weaknesses. It's playing at full throttle and attacking directly and at pace. And it's just not an accident that this is seen throughout the Bundesliga and to do it successfully is, you know, a big, big step towards being a good Bundesliga team because everybody, or I would say the majority of teams in the league play with this sort of identity and this sort of approach on the pitch. Matarazzo and and Stuttgart are no different now. And it really is no coincidence, like I say, when you look at the way Stuttgart play and then you realise that he worked as an assistant with Julian Nagelsmann at Hoffenheim. He, you know, they play sort of a a back three, but it is sort of more of a back four and they have players who hold extreme width on the pitch, but then they try and punch the ball through the middle of the pitch and play that way with overloads in the middle and outnumbering the opposition through the center while pinning them out wide. It is, it has all the hallmarks really of a, of a good Nagelsmann team or any of those sort of coaches that come from that school of thinking in Germany. And you can tell that Matarazzo is the, the first American, the first born American, sorry, to coach in the Bundesliga. It's just not a coincidence at all that he's there and they're playing this extremely German football and it's this football that you'd probably say you'd look at it and 
and say it's yeah like the Red Bull teams you know Marco Rosa is at Gladbach now after after managing Red Bull Salzburg and Jesse Marsh at Salzburg is continuing the same style of football as well it's sort of the dominant style in German football and Matarazzo clearly is a pupil of that same school yeah well we look at sort of um Julian Nagelsmann's Hoffenheim teams and you know he was playing with 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 forwards who who were very very well built you know very imposing figures you know players who you do not want to come up against in a sort of a 1v1, a matchup. And he was playing them out wide. Um, you know, the, the player that we're going to discuss first is is Silas Wamangi Tuka, um, who is a fantastic forward, who, you know, has been effectively playing as a right wing back if you want to you want to keep him sort of penned into a position on the pitch but realistically he's a he's a forward who's been compared uh, who's been uh, who's become a wide forward um this season at Stuttgart um after being you know very very good at being sort of a center forward at Paris FC in Ligue 2 in France you know he's he's very much a a player that I'm really really excited to to watch more of to learn more of because um he, I mean, his stats speak for themselves. You know, eleven goals, three assists in nineteen games in his first Bundesliga season. That's you know they're they're pretty abnormal numbers. Um, and I suppose that that in itself is is um, a reflection of how well the uh, the, the counter attacking, the aggressive style, the, um, the 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 system which which really really emphasises his physical traits uh, at Stuttgart. Um, and and one of the things that I found quite funny was that Wamangi Tuka's. Um, Wikipedia page uh, actually <laughs> has a quote on it which says presently the scoring machine of the manshaft which I think is a wonderful way of describing a player who just cannot stop scoring you know the there was you, you'll be familiar with this Lewis but there was a uh, you know t- two weeks in a row where he scored fantastic goals where he dribbled sort of the length of the pitch uh, I, can't, I can't remember the other team but I know one was against Mainz and I, I found myself thinking about the. Uh, it must have been Venezuelan commentator a while ago who so who started doing the the car noises as the player was dribbling <laughs> through on goal, and it was exactly the same with Silas. You know, he was just he kept going and kept going, got to the box, uh, you know, cut it back onto his onto his left and and finished really well. And you think how difficult that must be to to maintain that composure um, while also fulfilling this you know this hybrid role on the right hand side. Um, it's 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 incredible, especially considering he's six foot two as well. You know, there's a lot of him to move when he gets moving. There is, and I think that that's something I think will come onto just the size of some of these players. And I think then if we talk about the the recruitment, it's not an accident that they've signed players who are just physically imposing as well. They're enormous. The ones that, you know, I think Wamangatuka, if you describe to somebody how he plays, somebody will be picturing kind of short possibly stocky but maybe not winger um, and he's really not he's you know long-legged and rangy you sort of see him and you'd sort of put him in midfield I think just on site you put him in centre midfield and expect him to get up and down the pitch in fact he is playing a role that I cannot even begin to describe he's completely completely unique as far as I've ever seen in certainly in German football in the Premier League he is playing I don't know as you say ostensibly as a right wing back if you want to box him in a position and Stuttgart tend to defend with a five across the back and he's the right wing back and then when they get the ball he becomes the right winger but they don't give it to him they they completely ignore him he barely touches the ball but when he does touch it, he just runs 
and he has the the wherewithal and the the technical ability and physical capability to run at incredible speed and keep control of the ball and cause absolute mayhem for anybody who who def- tries to defend against him it's completely ridiculous i you know i was looking for for something last week actually and he's got the most shots in the in the team but he's also got the second or third most tackles in the team he's you know he's almost like playing like a right back but then when he gets the ball he's playing like you'd expect sort of Wilfred Zahar to play or something he's the 15th most uh, sorry the the 15th most shots in the Bundesliga the third most tackles at Stuttgart the 39th most tackles in the entire Bundesliga of any player this season and then like the fourth or fifth most dribbles in the league as well he gets the ball he runs and runs and runs and then he tries to shoot at the end of it and the Mainz goal was a great a great sort of summation of that the way that he plays and I think it came from a corner but the balls dropped him on the edge of the box and Stuttgart had a quite comfortable looking three versus two counter attack and he was not interested in the in the two teammates and he didn't need to be interested in the two teammates you know he he beat one man he got to the on the halfway line he got to the edge of the box he beat another man and he smashed it home he he can use both feet he's comfortable shooting with with power or precision with both feet he yeah he's just a exhilarating player to watch but one that you just cannot describe at all Mm. the way that he's playing or the way that they're using him as I say you sort of to give people that idea he is sort of yeah this wing back in a to the to the side of a back three and he defends it's not like you know he's this goal scoring machine from wing back who doesn't bother with his defensive duties he defends tenaciously and then when Stuttgart get the ball, he just he's just off, and it, he's almost playing sort of like a like a goal scoring right winger who who drifts inside and gets himself into the box and looks to take people on at every opportunity. I I don't know about you. I don't know if you can come up with anyone, but I can't think of anyone that I've seen that plays quite like him. I don't sort of I was thinking earlier, knowing that we were going to be talking about him, and the closest I could come up with would sort of maybe Ashraf Hakimi at the moment, but Hakimi's still involved when the team is sort of passing out from the back and stuff, Romangatuka just is absent in that entire phase of play until he's somewhere where he can threaten and endanger the opposition. It's really, really strange to watch him and it's brilliant. Yeah, you're right. It is absolutely brilliant. And you're right to say that it's very difficult to categorise what he is because, you know, can you imagine if you were an opposition manager, you're coming up against him, you're coming up against Stuttgart and you have to think, well, what do I do with my left side today? Because I've got this player who is very, very difficult to define, very, very difficult to nail down where he's going to be impactful because he's impactful everywhere. You know, you'd see, you you know, perhaps in in other games, you might put a more defensive minded winger on uh, to support your your fullback because you want him to to tuck in and double up on on a a wide player who's who's very good at carrying the ball, very good at making those inroads to the box. Whereas it seems as though he's, he's just very much good at everything. Which in in the Bund- for his first season in the Bundesliga, you know, it's it's kind of like a this is this is a scouting masterclass that you know this player has been identified for this specific role, despite having no experience of it whatsoever. I think is I mean that we'll get on to Sven Mislintat uh, in 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 a little while, but you know I think it's 
a huge, huge of an endorsement of his, you know, 20, 20 odd years of, of scouting and recruitment that he's been able to identify this player and also of Matarazzo because he's the one who's getting the best out of him. You know, he's got, I know we keep saying right wing back, but he really isn't, but he is, you know, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> like, it, and, and, you know, to be getting 11 goals from that position, it's, it's fantastic as well as being, you know, the, the player that he is, and and rightly so, he's won uh, the the Bundesliga's Rookie of the Month award twice now in in November and December. Um, you know, having that, he he hasn't had any top flight experience. He's still twenty one years old, I think, but is you know, it 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 it, it baffles. I think in my notes I, I put down um, that in terms of him being a big bodied wide forward, you know, there was. I feel like I may have been making a bit of a general generalization, um, but you know Marcus Turan, we've seen he's he's done very well in the Bundesliga for Borussia Mönchengladbach. But in terms of his defensive output, he doesn't compare to Silas um, Wimangi Tuka. Uh, I'm having a bit of an internal conflict here because I love talking about him, but I can't say his name properly. Um, so it's it's very, um, but he I don't I don't know about you, but is is Turan somebody that you'd maybe in an in an attacking sense, um, in the sense that you know he is. Into in matchups, you don't want to be going up against him as an opposition fullback. Is he somebody who is comparable in in the in the offensive half of the pitch? A little bit, I think. Definitely, sort of in front of goal. I think Turam is a bit more of a of a player that you know he's broad chested and he can bully players a little bit. Um, mm. Opposition defenders. Wamangatuka is just sort of this whirlwind of of pace and dribbling and. I think, like I said earlier, I think maybe Wilfred Zahar, someone like that, is somebody that I'd sort of... I can't think of another one in the Bundesliga. You know, it's like if you put Jaden Sancho on stilts. Yeah, he's just very slender, but very good at carrying it. And yeah, he's he's, he's not as barrel-chested as sort of a Joel Inton or, or a Marcus Turan was. You know, That's in- the thing, he's like... That's exactly the thing. He's, he, physically, you, you would not see him and then... And then project that he is a winger. I don't think. I think we, you know, we we think of wingers as these really technical small players who sort of squeeze in and out of gaps. And we think that you know, obviously, even more of a generalization and completely wrong. But we think of maybe taller players as guys that don't squeeze out of those gaps and and don't quite have the quick feet. But he does, and it, it's such an interesting profile. I mean, you can you can see why. Stuttgart signed him and why why Mislintat's eye was sort of drawn to him but also you have to wonder like how did Stuttgart find this guy and then decide that he could be this particular thing I think it's just it's like as you say it's an incredible piece of work from from their team from Sven Mislintat wherever he was involved along the process and for Matarazzo to actually put it into practice and get everything out of this player because I think most people would maybe just stick him on the wing and then you're getting, you know, tell him to to stick a bit wide and, and you're getting some goals and assists, but not really the same amount from him. I think he's been put in a position where he can contribute everything that he is capable of contributing defensively, but then is still also given complete freedom to just go and cause mayhem offensively. And it's, well, I mean, you mentioned it a couple of times, 11 goals, three assists. No one at the moment seems to be able to stop him. 
Just moving on to another uh, young prospect in in the uh, Stuttgart team, and that is uh, he's a 22 year old, so he's a little bit older than Wamangi Tuka. Um, but he's that's Orel Mangala, uh, who is uh, he's got some engine on him. Uh, he's a, a Belgian uh, midfielder, can play in sort of a defensive role alongside Wataru Endo, but um, has been uh, very much a box to box presence. You know, very much like Wamangi Tuka. You know, he's a good ball carrier. Um, he, he's he's press resistant, you know, and he's he's always been good at the good on the dribble. You know, he's he had his, his days at, at Hamburg as well uh, in the Bundesliga. You know, dropped down to to this vital Bundesliga with Stuttgart, um, and you know, is is very much a, a an interesting player. You know, it 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 fits in this Stuttgart team because you got you. In, you need to be high octane. You need to be good at your pressing. You need to be good at being press resistant. Um, and you need to, as you were saying with Wamangi Tuka, you need to be good at getting out of situations where perhaps you know you're you're at risk of getting, giving the ball away. Um, and that comes with with having confidence in possession, um, confidence in your distribution. Um, but I think with with Mangala, for me, it's it's sort of his his progressive carrying. You know, from deeper positions that I think. Um, really contributes to what makes Stuttgart quite an interesting team. Um and at 22, you know, he's still got still got plenty plenty of years ahead of him even though it seems as though he's kind of been on the periphery of of Bundesliga football for for quite a while. Yeah, and I think again this one we can sort of attribute to Sven Mislintat because Mangala joined Dortmund on loan from Anderlecht when he was still there and just played for the under-19 team. They won the title. And I think Dortmund just didn't really pursue a deal. I think it would have been the team that had sort of Felix Paslak and, and Christian Pulisic as teammates. But as I say, Dortmund didn't really pursue a deal. He left, he moved to Hamburg, he, he's ended up at Stuttgart. He is press resistant. He also just is very, I think, very, very tidy for Stuttgart. You know, he's reliable. He moves the ball so quickly, either that's with his feet and it's press resistance. Or when the opportunity is there, he'll get the ball spin and play a pass straight away. And I think for teams that want to play through the middle of the pitch, and Stuttgart do, you know, we said that Wamangatuka's wide, Sosa is wide on the left, and they try and hold that width. But really, they want to outnumber you in the middle of the pitch. And that ball goes into Mangala. It doesn't matter if he's under pressure. It doesn't matter if he's sort of back to goal. He'll either wriggle out of that pressure or if he's got the time, he'll turn and just sort of play a pass around the corner. It's just absolutely integral. I think obviously it plays into Stuttgart's hands a little bit that they're a mid-table side and and most teams will sort of come out. You know, it's not like Bayern where you half your games, you just end up playing against the team sat on the edge of their own area and players like Wamangatuka, it does play into their strengths as well to to have that space to stretch their legs and and Mangala's another one. But the energy, I think, you know, you mentioned Wataru Endo there, his midfield partner, who really is what I would say, who I would say is the the conductor of this team, but maybe doesn't have the legs. Mangala has the, the energy, that ability to make sure they press high and sort of join that press from midfield and then get in and recover as soon as that press is broken. And to have a player who can do those things, but then with the ball doesn't let you down as well, I think it's really rare to find. I, I was going to say something sort of on on his on his creativity, uh, or, or rather the, the the lack thereof. But I think in 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 this Stuttgart team, you know, they've scored thirty seven goals this season in nineteen games. That's you know, it's it's pretty good. I think sometimes 
I myself might be drawn to to players who play in a midfield role who maybe aren't as creative as their their, their teammates. But when the team as a as a unit actually functions pretty efficiently, um, you know they don't necessarily need to be. And the role that he is fulfilling at the moment, I think, is is more than enough. Um, on sort of on reflection, just listening to you there, you know, it's it's not an essential part of his game that you know other people may think it might be. But in my in my opinion, um, you know, I, I think that what he does have is probably enough at the moment at this stage in his career for the for the level of the club that he's playing for. You know, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that in this system, which is obviously very specific, very aggressive, um, but very, you know, very entertaining um, and functional. I think he is, as you say, having that reliability at such a young age, you know, in in, in other teams who maybe are as as... I don't want to say erratic because that kind of conjures up connotations of of being a bit out of control. But teams that are as you know energetic as Stuttgart, you know, there is an element of that unpredictability. You know, will there be a massive gaping hole in midfield when you commit bodies forward? But I feel like Mangala is he's a, he's a he's a stabilizing influence. Um, so no, I, I agree what you're saying there. Uh, and you know, he's at 22 years old. Uh, you know, with the injury that that's been sustained by Axel Witzel for Belgium, you know, there's even the chance that he might be an outside bet for uh, Belgium's European Championship squad this summer. I don't know what you, you what you think of that. You you know, you're watching more of of, of the Bundesliga than, than I am. But um, you know, is is that outside the realms of possibility, or is it sort of a uh, a James Madison for England kind of shout? <laughs> um, I don't know. Like personally, I would lean towards the latter, especially as you mentioned, Axel Witzel's out. So who knows who's going to take his place? Um, I don't know if Roberto Martinez has got Mangala sort of on his radar, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think, like you mentioned, the, he's a player that I think when you talk about the creativity and if there's enough, I think you could definitely argue that there isn't. But I think that's an argument for a team that's looking for a player. Like if if people are scouting him, if they're looking for somebody who has more creativity, then it's something that would throw up a doubt about Mangala's game. And as you rightly said, when Stuttgart are so dangerous anyway, his job is almost just to keep things ticking and, and plug gaps and set the tone without the ball, more than with the ball, I would argue. So... I could definitely see that actually being a player that the Belgium could do with. And we know that Belgium have more than enough attacking talent that they wouldn't maybe need a player that, that goes into the team and into the midfield that can knit everything together perfectly and, and provide those moments of brilliance. But maybe somebody that does just sort of plug gaps with the energy that they want to play at. Yeah, I think plugging gaps is kind of a nice a nice way of, of tying it all together. Um Onto the on, onto the attackers again, um, but purely attackers this time. Um, and we've got Sasha Kalajic and Nicolas Gonzalez, um, both very difficult names as well. In fact, no, Nico Gonzalez isn't too difficult. I think I'll I'll, I'll save my beef for Sasha Kalajic, um, but <laughs> I'm not going to be taking it up with him because he is literally six foot seven. Um, so you know, this is another forward who is very very tall, uh, five inches taller than than Silas Wamangituka. Uh, and you know how you know a lot of managers might actually struggle to get the best out of forwards who may be perceived as as less mobile. You know we we, we see the likes of 
uh, Timo Werner last season, you know, having that ability to just race through on goal. You know, sometimes you don't have that with with a uh, with a player uh, who is six foot seven. Uh, you know, most of the time you don't have that. Um, but you know, in a team which is so transitional, like like Stuttgart, you know, how does a player like Kalajic score a handful of goals as he has done already this season with his with his physical profile? You're right. Firstly, he is just enormous. It's quite ridiculous. He's, you know, he's been used as a sub sometimes. I think that's deliberate. I think defenders, you know, you've spent all game chasing Nico Gonzalez or Wamangatuka around, and then suddenly you have to deal with this six foot seven battering ram, and you're already knackered. I think that's a really smart way to use him. And then when defenses are a bit more tired, he finds space, and that maybe lack of pace, if you want to put it that way, isn't so much of a factor when he's fresh. More than that, though, I think he's just really good for the combination play of the team. Like, you, you know, you've got Nico Gonzalez, you've got Wamangatuka, you've got Tango Koulibaly, and they will run and run and run. But there's no need or there's no point in running if the ball isn't arriving. He's really good in combination play, and he offers them the ability to go long as well. And they have sometimes, and they've played him, they've, they just sort of go long from goal kicks or or the balls in the, in the back line. And... You can see Wamangatuka or Gonzalez sort of setting off to just race in behind. What I really like about Kaladzic as well, and he's, a couple of his goals have come off being on the, the back shoulder of a defender. And I really like that. I like that even though he's six foot seven and it's not his strength to run in behind, he's always willing to do it. He doesn't just sort of turn around and play like he can't do it. He is happy to move in behind. He knows that the ball might arrive or... There might be an opportunity behind him if he makes that space by dragging a defender out of position. And I think that Wamangatuka aside, maybe, I think that really sums up a lot of these attacking players at Stuttgart that in their movement and their play for others, they are so unselfish and they all gel together as a team because they don't seem to care who scores the goals as long as there are chances and there are spaces and somebody's arriving. Yeah, it very much seems like a team where, you know, there, there are no prima donnas. Like, there's nobody more important than the team collective. Um, you know, it, it's very much a an outfit to pride themselves on their collectivity rather than um, individual quality that you may see with with bigger clubs and super clubs. Um, but with with Gonzalez, um, you know, I, I do know that he has he, he's very good from the penalty spot. Uh, he scored 14 in the league last season in their promotion campaign, uh, and obviously and 15 from uh, in all competitions. And you know, at face value, averaging a goal every other game is very good. Um, that obviously is going to to be on a lot of people's radars. But you know, this season has it been the same case where a lot of those have come from from penalties? Not not to not to detract from that being a very good skill, but perhaps you know, m- maybe people shouldn't be as high on him as as other as other players purely because his 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 numbers his output are being sort of inflated a little bit or is or is that reliance changing a little bit um it's something he sort of shared with Wamangatuka so they've they've each scored two or three penalties i think i don't know i haven't i haven't sort of been able to notice that if it's a case of he takes them when he's on the pitch or if he's taking them when when Wamangatuka isn't on the pitch but yeah we're seeing definitely a few of his goals have been from penalties but still, he's a he's a player that's again like watching him. He's to me anyway. He's not as tall, you know, as as Mangatuka. He's not as tall as um, as Kalasic, obviously, because nobody is. But he's a lot taller than you'd expect him to be. I think he's again. We're talking about a player who's a 
something between a striker and a winger, I guess, and very, very, very eager to dribble opponents and run at them. But he, again, I don't know if he's just skinny and he looks taller, but to me, he looks like he has this sort of a bit more of a, a sprinter's build maybe than a than a winger and his his you know his legs are long and again it, it might just be me I haven't looked up how tall he is he might actually not be that tall and I'm just seeing things um <laughs> but he he certainly gives me that impression he is like I say like Romanga took it so hard to defend because they've got so many players Gonzalez is probably the one in particular who are just so so willing to commit defenders and I'm sure playing for Stuttgart or watching them even sometimes it could be a little bit frustrating as a fan when you're seeing guys who might have a pass open, but they're going to be a second man or a third man. But it makes it so, so exciting and it makes it so unpredictable. And if you've got a player like like Gonzalez who does attract you know one defender and he beats him and then a second defender and a third defender, it's just going to create space for other people. It's just going to create havoc for, for the defending team space for your teammates and again he's a player who isn't starting as regularly as some of the others but is having a massive impact on games when he does play and he's lightning quick yeah there appears to be sort of a a, a spreading of the load so so to speak you know there isn't a, a set 11 that starts every game you know there is there's is, there is an element of not rotation but you know the, there's there's a portioning out of the minutes and, and the responsibility which again i think plays into that you know the, the collective of the team working well together um just on sven mislintat and now he's he's obviously a big part of this Stuttgart set up. He's the sporting director there, uh, as well as being a style icon for men in their late forties. Um, <laughs> fantastic dress sense, and, and uh, of course, uh, that was definitely wasn't a problem at Arsenal. Um, but you know, he was he, he was had a, he had a, a nineteen year association with Borussia Dortmund uh, as an analyst, as a scout, as their chief scout, and then the director of football, for want of a better phrase. Um, you know, he, he's. He, I don't want to say instrumental, but he was very, very, very much involved in the, um, the signings of, of Robert Lewandowski from Poland, uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang from AC Milan and, and Shinji Kagawa. You know, the, he left something of a legacy uh, there in, you know, in, in building that, that, that generational team that Klopp built sort of 10 years ago, 10 or so years ago, that is now. You know, and then then was poached, well, not poached, you know, he was, he was recruited by Arsenal after a sort of a, a mini sabbatical um, but that just didn't play out as as everyone had hoped, you know, from an Arsenal perspective. You know, what su- summarising what happened at Arsenal with Mislintat? In his words, Arsenal wanted to to go towards a more contact agent based approach compared to the, or in contrast to the analytical approach that he brought to the table. I think when. Arsene Wenger was leaving and that's when Mislintat arrived a few months before Arsene Wenger was leaving the club. I think there was an acceptance that the entire club almost would have to be remodelled um, because Wenger just covered himself or covered everything. He, he would spread himself so thin. He was across every aspect of, of life at Arsenal and recruitment and contract negotiations and obviously coaching and picking the team and training the team. So... The idea when he left Arsenal was that that shouldn't be what the club was going forward. So they brought in a few people, even Gazidis back then as chief executive, brought in Sven Mislintat to sort of run recruitment and Raul Sanye to run, well, who knows, player, agent, 
<laughs> relationships, I guess. The Kia Jurabshian account. Yeah, exactly. The who has Kia's phone number? It's probably Raul. That was the the idea that maybe marrying these two styles was a way that Arsenal could gain not just one edge, but maybe a second edge in the transfer market. But even Gazidis very quickly left and left for Milan and that left a big power vacuum and Real Sanye kind of won the battle, I guess you'd say. And Mislintat was a little bit forced out. He was promised a role as as director of football. I don't know, you know, all these different clubs always name these roles differently, but essentially he was promised the, the director of football role at Arsenal. He didn't get it. Uh, well, after Gazidis, who had made that promise, left, Sanye decided to marginalise Mislintat's impact at the club and influence at the club. So he decided to leave. And obviously he got the offer from Stuttgart, who maybe struck gold a little bit with him or with the work he's done so far. It's something they'd tried before. We talked about the managerial carousel, but I think since 2010, between 2010 and 2020, so that, that sort of 10 years, I think they had about six sporting directors, um, you know, director of football, whatever name you want to give it, which to me is just completely insane. I feel like that's the person that really at most of these German clubs is laying out the vision, the long-term plan for these clubs. And Stuttgart just cycled through them. And the last one before Mislintat was Mikhail Reschka, who had worked at Bayern Munich before as, as sort of a head scout at, at Bayern and had done a great job, was credited, I think, with getting Joshua Kimmich. So that didn't work out. And they decided, well, maybe let's go get the guy that did well at Dortmund instead. I think a little bit of a Hail Mary, considering they went for essentially the same thing from with the Bayern equivalent and that hadn't worked out. But Thomas Hitzelsberger was appointed to the, the board at Stuttgart. He decided to, to lead negotiations with Mislintat and convinced him to join. And now here we are. Like He's done an absolutely brilliant job. I think eyebrows were raised from Arsenal fans when they heard that he was leaving firstly and then it was followed up with, oh, by the way, he's going to go join a team in the second tier in Germany. And it was a bit of a oh, really? I guess he can't be that good then. But his work at the moment speaks for itself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think the setup that is, is in place in, at Stuttgart, you know, I, I was reading the uh, a, a recent interview that he gave with the Bundesliga.com uh, and, you know, straight away, first question right off the bat, he was saying that, you know, he very much likes this, uh, this role because um, he is, you know, he doesn't have as many people to report to. Uh, he is sort of the the the, the overseer of operations um you know he i think towards the end he, he made reference to um you know the reason why he can't in, be entirely thanked for the signings at Borussia Dortmund was because he needed you know Michael Zork's signature on there as well he needed the, you know the approval of some uh, of somebody else whereas at, at Stuttgart by the sounds of things he is very much the head of, of these operations and you know i think that's kind of the role that he wants he's he's thriving in it um and you look, I mean, you look at what he's he's doing and it's, I think you could term it squad planning. You know, he's planning for the future. He's planning for the next year after next after next, rather than sort of short-term recruitment that sometimes you see with other clubs. I mean, 2019, when he when he comes in in, in around March, April time with Stuttgart, you know, in that summer transfer window, he brings in Silas Wamangituka, uh, he brings in Matteo Klimovic, uh, Tangi Kulabali from PSG's uh, under-19s and Sasha Kalajic. 
So, you know, the four players, four attacking players that this season have all scored a, a reasonable amount of goals, I think apart from Klimovic, who's only got the one. But, you know, that was a precursor to this Bundesliga season. Um, this year, well, not this year, but 2020, he brings in uh, Darko Chulinov, Clinton Mola from Chelsea, who, you know, it was it, quite a few eyebrows were raised when that move went went through because he was he was probably one of the better defenders in Chelsea's academy setup. And he decided, you know, actually, I'm, I'm going to fancy my chances at Stuttgart because clearly the, under uh, Mislintat and, and Matarazzo, there's a pathway there. And that's a fast track to... to to top flight football. Um, you know, there's what he's doing there, I think is fantastic because the places that he's recruited these players from, you look at like PSG's under 19s, Ligue 2, Belgian's top flight, uh, Italian Primavera, the Austrian Bundesliga. Um, even I think Klimovitz was signed from the Primera Nacional B in Argentina, which is the equivalent of their like second division. You know, he is. He has a scope which is unrivaled. You know, he's looking absolutely everywhere. And uh, again, you know, you, I don't want to go all the way back to the Arsenal stuff, but you look at sort of the the, the contact agent driven recruitment that is being being done there. And to me, I just think that that is perhaps a little bit more expensive. Well, not even a little bit. You know, if you get it wrong, that's hugely more expensive. Whereas, you know, if you spend three quarters of a million euros on a player from Ligue 2 and they don't turn into the next Silas Womangi Tuka, then it's not a huge risk if you're a top flight club. But yeah, that, that, that's a bit of a, a bit of a ramble. But, you know, I, I, I just think that Mislintat and his work, his, his the, the way that he, I think he just carries himself with a real confidence, a real self-belief um, that that's, that's, you know, playing out in, in Stuttgart's season. Yeah, it is. And, when you mentioned the fees involved for those players as well, like you say, if you don't get a Wamangatuka, who cares? Because you will get one eventually. And when you do get one, you're going to be able to sell him for 30 million. So you're making a profit on all of that money that goes out in the end anyway, just by striking gold once. I think the the player that you know signed from, you mentioned the Belgian first division there, the, the player that sort of embodies for me a little bit exactly how how in-depth Mislintat's influence and knowledge is, is Watari Endo, who was playing in Japan when Mislintat first saw him and playing very well in midfield. I think he won a Japanese title and Mislintat was reportedly a big fan and he joined uh, St. Truden in Troiden, I don't know how to say it, in Belgium and apparently was playing right back there and they were finishing like bottom half of the table and Mislintat, you know, he'd scouted the player, he'd been interested in the player before, checked up on how he was doing, he was a big fan and saw that he was playing right back for a team near the bottom of the first division in Belgium and decided absolutely not, he is a top class centre midfielder, signed him for Stuttgart and that's where he's playing and they've got promoted and now they're, in the mid-table in the Bundesliga, Wataru Endo is, for me, like I said earlier, the the sort of the conductor of the team. I think that's just an absolute masterstroke. Who else is out there taking right-backs from bad Belgian teams and turning them into standout Bundesliga midfielders it, because they just see something that others have maybe missed about a player? I think it's just absolutely incredible the work that he does, the way that he does it in terms of future-proofing and you know we mentioned all these players Endo is 27 26 
he's the oldest of these players. The the rest of them are all young. The rest of them are all only going to improve, only going to attract more attention. And when they do attract more attention, they're going to give Stuttgart an absolute fortune to play with and to replace them with. To answer your question, nobody else does that. Nobody else sees a St. Trudin right back and, and, and thinks, right, they're a fantastic Bundesliga central midfielder <laughs> who's going to be the reliability factor in this exciting team. I, yeah, I, I, we're, we're waxing lyrical about him. Uh, it was interesting that you mentioned Endo there, actually. St. Trudin are... Um, uh, they've they've had quite a good record with uh, with Japanese players. Uh, I think I'll explore this at some point, but there must be a link because um, I, I, the Bologna uh, right back Ta- Takahiro Tomiyasu he came through St Truden as well, and there's another one to my mind who um, who I can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, there's um, he's definitely done done something there, hasn't he? Um, the the one player that you that you wanted to discuss as well uh, was was Tangi Kulibali. Um, you know, he's a player that I haven't really seen very much of. It's just in the snippets that I've seen, seen of Stuttgart this season. Um, but admittedly, it's not an awful lot. You know, what was it about him that you really wanted to sort of discuss? I I feel like watching Koulibaly when I have seen him this season, I feel like you're seeing a player that is, you can see that they're going to become something. Um, I It's hard to pin down what it is about him, but he makes things happen and I think he's only got one goal in the Bundesliga this season despite you know starting quite regularly up front um it doesn't matter he is making things happen he is dangerous he is extremely raw and only played 20 minutes last season so he came into this season with 20 professional minutes under his belt he's now starting sort of every other game in the Bundesliga and even though he isn't providing end product at the moment, that raw potential is so clearly there. He just needs to get used to his role, get used to what he's being asked to do. But he just attracts players. He attracts attention and he makes Stuttgart, when he does play, so fluid up front that he just pops around. He'll he'll pop up on the, on the right flank, on the left flank. He'll come into midfield or he'll run in behind. He is really, really dangerous. And to play him and to have him in combination with, you know, Gonzalez and Wamanga Tuka, a couple of players we've talked about already, is just absolutely frightening to think. If they all click at some point and everything gets going all together and they all bring the best out of each other, the unpredictability of that attack is just, you know, the sort of unlimited exactly what it could do if they all click at some point and they they go on some mad champions league qualification charge then we're going to sound very clever indeed i think um (laughs) which wouldn't be bad wouldn't be bad but on that note uh that is all that we have uh time for on the scouted football podcast today um i hope that it's been an insightful listen uh on, on the the fortunes of stuttgart from their promotion their history their background the the youth football that they've that they've been successful in and the 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 development of these young players, as well as uh, Sven Mislintat's scouting mission to to make Stuttgart a, a brand new power in German football once again. Um, finally, my thanks go to to Lewis um, for for joining me, and I think you know your insight on this Mislintat situation at Arsenal was was something that we couldn't get and marry up anywhere else with the the German football knowledge. So thank you very much uh, for for everything. Uh, and have you got anything to to sort of to say? Where can where can people find you on on Twitter or or where else? Uh, it was my pleasure, first of all. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at LG Ambrose. You can find some of my stuff on the OneFootball app or Arsenal stuff on Arsblog. Brilliant. I, I'd, I'd definitely recommend checking that 
out. Um, that's all from us on the Scouted Football Podcast. Thank you very much for, for listening in. Um, please consider subscribing to our Patreon, uh, our subscription service, where you'll get extra podcasts, extra articles, uh, and really, really insightful features. Um, and also, if you like something to hold in your hands, uh, the Scouted Football Handbook Volume 9 will be available very, very soon, or it may be available now, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, so please do check that out for profiles, features, interviews, and then some fantastic artwork. Um, I've been Joe Donahue. Take care, stay safe, and bye for now.